0: Hello and welcome from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This podcast you're about to hear was recorded at our Burrugan campus. So sit back, relax, and enjoy what God has to say to you. Good morning, everyone. It's wonderful to be here with you this morning. Today, we're starting a brand new series called Knowing God. We're going to be unpacking one John together covering some of the mega themes in the book like sin, family, love, trust, and assurance. And As a part of that, our book of the month is actually Knowing God by J.I. Packer. It's a fantastic book. In fact, Nick would say that it is well and truly on the list of books that every Christian should read. And here's the good news. It's only little, okay? This is not the cross of Christ by John Stott, which is like 800 words. It's nearly the length of Scripture itself. It's not what it is. It's like just under 300 words. So even if reading is a genuine struggle like it is for me, this is something that we can do, okay? So it's available in the bookshop. Go check it out, Knowing God by J.I. Packer. It is fantastic. You see, the heart of this series is that we might discover the wonder and the joy of knowing God more and more. And I'm not talking about an intellectual understanding. I'm talking about a lived experience that we would know in here the joy that it means to walk with the God of the universe, the one who gives life to all things, that we would know that joy. We're going to start that journey by focusing on the very thing that holds us back. It's almost like John is saying, listen, if you want to know God more, if you want to know the wonder, the joy, if you want to know the freedom and the life that's found in him, then we've got to talk about sin. Nothing will rob you of the fullness of life that God has for you like sin. It destroys our intimacy with Jesus. It, it puts up walls that he's already torn down. It's death. That it promises everything and delivers nothing. We know that and yet we find ourselves going back again and again. And it can be really deflating. John 8 says, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. So what's wrong with me? I mean, what's the deal? Am I not really safe? It's just so discouraging. We go back again and again. Or maybe you find yourself on the complete opposite end of the spectrum and you're sitting there this morning thinking, you know what, I don't really need this. I'm doing okay. I'm not breaking any laws. I'm not on drugs. I'm fine. Well, John would say, actually, that's an incredibly dangerous place to find yourself. There's something about repentance that's fundamental to the Christian walk and there's actually good news for us this morning, good news. So that's what we're looking at, but before we go any further, let's read our passage together. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, heading into chapter 2, verse 2. This is what it says. It's going to be up on the screen if you don't have your Bible here this morning. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, an advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but for the sins of the world. We pick it up in in verse 5. John says, this is the message we have heard from him that is Jesus and declare to you. And the significance of that really lies in the context. You see, John is writing to a network of house churches somewhere around the city of Ephesus. It was a community made up primarily of Jewish Christians, but it was also a community in crisis. Later on in the letter, we'll see there's this group that has defected, removed themselves, separated from the church, and are now preaching a different gospel. And that's what John is combating as we make our way through this letter. They no longer believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. They bought into this Greek philosophy called Gnosticism, which basically says that everything that is spirit is good and everything that is material or flesh is bad, inherently bad, and so actually doesn't matter. And we'll see that play its way out in chapter 1. It helps us understand some of the craziness that John is addressing. But what's really clear is this group of people aren't satisfied just removing themselves from the church. They're actually trying to win over the rest of the church. Trying to convince them of this different gospel. a claim a fresh anointing, a fresh revelation from the Spirit. So John's response is to bring them back to the words of Jesus. I mean, God's not schizophrenic. He's not going to contradict himself. It doesn't matter what anointing someone claims. If it doesn't line up with this, it's not God. It's a measure for us today. It doesn't matter what anointing, what revelation anybody has. If it doesn't line up with this, it's not God. He's not going to contradict himself. John is saying, don't worry about that. Don't get sucked into that. This is the message we heard from Jesus and declare to you, God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. I know that probably seems like a strange place to start when we're talking about sin, but you've got to understand, all throughout Scripture, God's redemptive work amongst his people is described as the bringing of light that eliminates darkness. And ultimately, that culminated in the person, the work of Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And John opens his gospel with something really similar. He says, in him, that is in Jesus, was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That's the thing about light. It exposes the darkness and actually drives it out. So here John is saying that God is pure, unblemished light. In other words, he's holy. More than we really understand, he is holy. Psalm 100 says the Lord is good and his loving devotion endures forever. His faithfulness continues to all generations. That's the God we serve. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the one who was and is and is to come. He's the creator of all things. And in him, all things live and move and have their being. He's gracious and kind. He loves the unlovely and those who refuse to love him in return because he's holy, other, set apart. Holy. holy. Well, that's the backdrop that John is painting for us. Now that we've got that up, he says, okay, let's talk about sin. If we claim to have fellowship, and that word has a sense of intimacy to it. It's a communion with God. If we claim to have fellowship and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. It's confronting, let's be honest. I mean, nobody wants to fit into that category. So the question is, what does it mean to walk in the darkness? Is John saying, hey, listen, if you claim to be following Jesus and yet continue to sin, you're a liar. Because I'll be honest with you, if that's what he's saying, I'm in trouble. I'm pretty sure every single person in this room is as well. But I can't make it through the week without stuffing something up and I hope that I've grown, I know that I have, as a follower of Jesus, but I'm also hyper-aware there's still some really ugly stuff in here. So what does it mean to walk in the darkness? I have a tendency to wander, but that's not what that word means. The NIV translates it walk, but the Greek literally means to live, to abide, to make your home in the darkness. John's saying, if you claim to be in fellowship with God who is light and yet make your home in the darkness, you're kidding yourself, lying to yourself, deceiving yourself. You cannot orientate your life around the darkness and yet claim to walk in the light. It just doesn't work that way. And this is something that can be seen. When he says you fail to live out the truth, he's saying your life is devoid of the character and nature of Jesus. I look at you and I'm thinking to myself, where's the fruit? We're saved by faith alone, but James makes it pretty clear, true faith is never alone. And it works itself out in the way that we live our lives. So if our home really is in the light as he is in that light, that light will be seen. And we'll have fellowship with one another. Because in John's mind, that's the natural flow-on effect from our fellowship with the Father. He even says this in chapter 4, Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or a sister is a liar. Why? Because God is love. And if we're in fellowship with him, that love begins to fill us. And then it begins to flow out of us into those around us. That if you're in the light, it will be seen in the way that you live your life. You know, as I was thinking about what it means to live in the light, it got me thinking about my own story. I grew up in a Christian home, I encountered Jesus, I knew the gospel, I'd seen it in action. But then I got to high school and I was just convinced that I was missing out. When would come back after the weekend, I'd hear all these stories and I was never in them. I was in church instead. I was missing out on the fullness of life that everybody else had or so I thought. I pushed Jesus to the side. I tried really hard to forget everything that I'd seen and experienced. And I, I chased this freedom that everybody else had. And yet I was never comfortable. I Never 100% comfortable. I could, I could push God to the side. I could do what they were doing, but there was this still, small voice that was constantly calling me back. Because that's the thing about the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you've noticed this, but he's relentless. I mean, he just won't give up. I can wander into the darkness, but he's always there calling me back into the light because that's my home. And when I eventually pulled my head in, when I had that moment of clarity and said, Jesus, help me. That's what it was like. It was like coming home. That's why I love the story of the prodigal son. It just feels like it resonates with me. But here's what I've discovered walking with Jesus over the last 10 plus years. That still, small voice never goes away. That I'm walking in the light. I'm in fellowship with the God who is light. So I find myself continually being exposed. It happened to me just the other day. I got home. I was tired All I wanted to do was sit on the couch and play PlayStation. That's it. I'm not asking for much. I got a call from Anna. She's been helping a friend, looking after her four kids. So, you know, basically chilling, sipping lattes. She's not here, it's fine, don't worry about it. She's running late. I'm gonna connect group in just over an hour. So she calls me and says, you know, I'm just wondering if you could make dinner for us. Now I said yes, but in my mind I was thinking, are you serious? I've been working all day. I literally just sat on the couch, and, and now you want me to make dinner? I was, I was a little bitter, I'll be honest with you. And then the spirit just smashed me. It was like he held, what do you who who's that? Just he's uh, up over there, all right? He'll get you too. It was like he held up a mirror. That's what it was really like, and it was like he showed me how ugly that was. And I was like, oh, gosh, okay. Actually, this is the least that I can do. And this is what the Spirit does. He's continually unveiling the sin in my life and then calling me to repentance. That's why when John says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just And will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We claim we have not sinned. We make him out to be a liar. And his word is not in us. Because the word of God is pretty clear. You're a sinner. My dear children, I write this to you. So that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. The righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but for the sins of the world. I mean, John just smashes us. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Remember, Jesus is the truth, the embodiment of it. So now we're talking about the genuineness of their salvation. John is saying, if there's absolutely no awareness of your brokenness, if there's no conviction, no sense that you fall short of the glory of God and no pain in there because of that, it's probably an indication that you're far from God. And Don't get me wrong, he's patient in all of that. God has been working on stuff in my heart for years He's incredibly gentle, but he's relentless. He's constantly challenging me, constantly leading me into life. We've got to remember the context. John is talking to a group of people who are this arbitrary line between the things of the spirit and the things of the flesh. So anything they did over here just didn't matter. They didn't see it as sin. As the flesh is inherently bad anyway, so who cares, right? And we hear that and we think that's crazy, but you know what? We do the exact same thing. We draw arbitrary lines between things and, yeah, that's bad, but Jesus doesn't really care about that. This is what Matt Chandler says, if we really believe that you have nothing that you need to confess, no sin that needs to be brought out before the Lord, you have an exalted version of yourself in your head that's not reality. But you know what? This is what we do. We love to put the big sins over here, and then we define all the small sins over here. And these sins really upset God, he's just kind of okay with these little ones over here. So God doesn't like this and this and this, but the fact that you're still embarrassed of him or the fact that you put absolutely no effort into relationship with him, that doesn't bother him at all. And we're so quick to divide it into to good sin and, and bad sin. And God really struggles with these people over here. But over here, well, he's just kind of glad that we're on his team. And the Bible says that you're self-deceived and it probably explains why you're stagnant in your faith and maybe why your faith has begun to wither. It's challenging. But this is something that we do all the time. And John is saying, don't. Stop. You're deceiving yourself. But you know what? You're actually holding yourself back from the freedom and the life that God has for you. See, verse 9 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us. It's an incredible promise, but He gives us more than that. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And you've got to understand the significance of that word, purify. It means to cleanse, to make clean. It gives us the sense that God removes the defilement of our sin. It purifies us, removes the residual effects from it, the ongoing effects for it. That's why repentance is so powerful. I know that my sin has been dealt with. On the cross, Jesus paid for my past, present, and future sin. It's gone. And yet in repentance, God frees me. He washes away the stain of my sin, and it's powerful. Nothing robs you of the fullness of life that God has for you like sin. Nothing. That's why John says, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. It's the heart of a father, a pastor. It promises everything. It delivers absolutely nothing. It will destroy you. This isn't some grumpy old man. It's not something that comes from a place of judgment at all his heart is for them and his desire is that they would walk in the fullness of life that God has for them and he knows nothing will tear that away from you like sin so he's calling them to pursue holiness because that's where fullness of life is found in intimacy with Jesus and i'm not talking about perfection i'm talking about a group of people that have a heart for holiness they're striving for it. However imperfectly, they're striving to honor and please and live for Jesus and a love for him. Now we will stuff up. We're unfinished works of grace. And when we do, we know that we have an advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He intercedes on our behalf, stands before the throne of God, and says, this one's with me. That's our hope. That he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but for the sins of the world. I want to invite the band to come back up and to lead us in worship. Here's how I want to finish. It's just a simple question. I don't actually want you to answer it out loud. My question for you is this. What do you do when you sin. See, I think more than anything else, the answer to that question shows us whose righteousness we're clinging to. There's a reason that John says, when you sin, remember that you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He knows that our natural tendency is to run, is to hide from God when we sin. You go all the way back to Genesis, and you see Adam and Eve hiding from God because of their shame. Fast forward to 2020, and not a lot has changed. We mess up. Instead of immediately turning around and confessing it to God, we hide. We avoid Him for a couple of days, you know, just to put some distance between us and that thing that's over there that's kind of ugly. And then when we feel like maybe He's moved on and It's not that big of a deal anymore. Then we come back to God and we say, oh, man, I'm really sorry. And John would say, what are you doing? What does that say about you and about the righteousness that you're clinging to? It's not about you. It's not about your good works, your righteousness. It never has been. You might slip up, but Jesus, the righteous one, is still there interceding on your behalf. His righteousness is what got you here. His righteousness is what allows you to walk in the light and have fellowship with the Father, not yours. The enemy wants you to run and hide because he knows the power of repentance. He'd rather you just stay in your shame. Repentance is the road to freedom and life. When we confess our sins, is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Wash away the stain of it. Stop running and start repenting. This isn't something that we do just to enter the kingdom of God because that's what we think of repentance. We think at the moment we gave our life to Jesus, but that's not all that repentance is this is something that we continue to do day after day. It's a marker of the Christian walk. We're confronted by the light that our sin is exposed and we repent. And so in walk all the closer with our God and our King. The repentance would be a marker of our lives. It would be something that we do day in and day out. I firmly believe that this is where growth happens. This is where we step into greater freedom and greater life and we repent, humble before God and allow him to wash us. Let's pray, would you bow your heads? You know, I've just got a sense that actually we need to respond to the word of God this morning. I'm not asking to come down the front, this is just between you and God. But if you have a sense that actually there's stuff in my life that I've just got to bring before the Lord, stuff that I need to confess, then that, that I want to invite you to raise your hand as an act of repentance. Nobody else can see. Nobody else cares. This is just an opportunity for you to say, Jesus, come and make me clean. Wash away the stain of my sin. I want to know you. I want to know the joy and the life and the freedom that's found in you. So I'm asking you, Father, to wash away the stain of my sin. If that's you, I just want you to raise your hand. Father, we come before you this morning a broken people but a group of people that have found grace and mercy and life in the name of Jesus and yet I know father that we just continue to stumble continue to go back to that which you freed us from and so I pray this morning for every person that raised their hand father as we come before you in repentance that you would wash us, that you would make us clean, that you would set us free. You would take us by the hand and that you would draw us close, that we might walk with you. The walls that we put up, Father, would you tear them back down? For those who are distant from you, Father, I pray that they would hear your voice calling them home this morning. not standing in our own righteousness Jesus it's like filthy rags we stand in your righteousness and we thank you for it thank you father we have been clothed in the righteousness of Jesus and so we can come before you in boldness and I pray this morning father reveal to us the sin in our lives, the darkness that is still there and lead us into life. This I pray for in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this podcast brought to you from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. Our prayer is that what was said today inspires you and strengthens you in your faith. If you would like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, you can contact the team during office hours on the number you can find on our website at mounties.org.au. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to having your company again soon. God bless.